0: This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad.
1: On social media, Tondi Brown made it official last night he would be departing Wake Forest. And without him in Winston-Salem, John Curry, he's in a no-win position. Mac Brown, he once told us that you're either selling hope or you're selling success. Long before he showed signs of becoming the Hall of Fame coach he now is, Mack went 1-10 his first two years in Chapel Hill. But during those years, without on-the-field results to lean on, he had his bosses and the donors convinced he was setting the foundation for something successful long-term. And he was right. Chondy Brown's departure takes away any hope of a successful basketball season next year for the Demon Deacons. I really don't care who the coach is. This roster doesn't consist of any players that right now I think could start for another ACC team. So while it's good they bring in a Juco, or I guess it's just a transfer from Houston Baptist and Ian Dubois who averaged 19 points a game over there, I doubt, as a secondary scoring option, he's going to have similar success in the ACC. It's good news. Wake Forest today lands a transfer from Virginia Tech, former Mount Tabor standout Isaiah Wilkins, but that guy was averaging what five points a game last year at Virginia Tech. Has two years of remain uh, two years of eligibility remaining, but this team I don't see one guy other than Olivier Sar who be starting for any other ACC team. And I'm not convinced Olivier, after being a third-team All-ACC guy with the high upside, he's not going to put his name into the draft considering it's a thinner draft, or he's going to say, much like Chon I have one year left of eligibility here. I'm going to transfer somewhere I can play in the NCAA tournament since I've never done so before. So John Curry, he's in a can't-win situation. No win here. If you fire Danny Manning, it's going to be awful PR. You got pay cuts all over the place. Curry himself imposing a 10% pay cut. Dave Clawson at a 10% pay cut. All the other Wake Forest coaches taking a pay cut. Then you're going to fire Danny and buy him out. Oh, and at the same time, hire somebody else. I was reading that last week, 5 million more people in the United States became unemployed, filed for unemployment. That's about 22 million filing for unemployment. And you're going to fire somebody and pay out $15 million, agree to do so? Of course, that's not all going to happen right now, but you're going to ostensibly pay that sum. Now, during a national, make it an international, global pandemic, that's not going to be a good look. There's no chance of success to sell for next year. I, I'm somebody who was hopeful. If Chandi was on the roster, if Olivier was on the roster, I thought this would be a team that could make the tournament like the 2017 team did. I thought that was something that could happen. Without Chandi, there's no chance of that. So you can't sell hope for next year and there's no way you could really sell hope with Danny as the coach. So My prediction is that Curry is going to make a change off Manning. I think it's something he wants to do. I don't have any inside information on this. Curry, he's kept it very close to the vest, as we've discussed on this show. Sticking with him, it would be just too damaging to attendance next year, The attendance model, I mean, it's already bad considering what we saw this past year. It's going to get worse if Danny's the coach. I just can't foresee that happening. It's all about the details. They are going to iron something out. They're going to buy out Danny Manning. I don't know if it's going to be 15 mil. I don't know the rest of the details privy to Danny's contract because they don't talk about contracts, but I believe John Curry has a plan And I'd be surprised if he's not moving off of Danny at this point because you can't sell on the field success. If he was going to keep him around, he would have already said so since he hasn't, he either wants to move off of him and can't or wanted to do it already and couldn't, or he's going to do it and has a plan in place. You could tweet the show at Sports Triad. 336-777-1600. If you're a Wake Forest basketball fan, I'm interested in what you think about this predicament John Curry is in at the moment. The NFL draft is one week away. And, Robert, I have the three best outcomes for Carolina at number seven. The three best outcomes. And I think the one that's most obvious would be if Tua fell to number seven. If Tua fell to seven, Carolina races to the podium. The pick would be in immediately. Carolina going with the quarterback from Bama. He's the closest comp to Drew Brees we've seen come out, the most accurate passer I've ever seen as a prospect. Drew Brees worked with Joe Brady. It just seems like it would be a ready-made fit. You wouldn't have to worry about Draft position for the next handful of years, Tua would be the franchise quarterback, and he would be given time to develop behind Teddy Bridgewater. Isaiah Simmons would be the next best outcome for Carolina. If Simmons fell to seven, Carolina has so many holes on defense. D-line, secondary, linebacker, losing Luke Kuechly. Simmons, he can fill... So many different holes. He can do so much on the defensive side of the ball. He can rush the passer. He can fill running holes. He is excellent in pass defense. Sound like somebody else you know? Keekly, his big deal. It's intelligence. I've compared him to Peyton Manning. He's the closest thing I've seen on defense to a Peyton Manning-level player who can figure things out, know what the play is going to be ahead of time, Reed passes, pick off quarterbacks left and right. Isaiah Simmons, he would be the perfect replacement to Keekley even though I understand he would be playing more of an outside backer versus an inside backer. Great in pass defense, can fill the run. I've seen him in person many times, so maybe I'm biased to that. But Isaiah Simmons, that would be an ideal pick for Carolina. And the third option, the third outcome that I think would be one of the three best, Trading down. Trade out of the pick. If Herbert fell to seven, maybe the Las Vegas Raiders say, we want to trade up and take him. And they'll give you both their picks between 10 and 20. Maybe you get added first round value if there's a Herbert or Jordan Love that somebody wants to trade up and take a chance on. Trade back because there's a lot of good defensive line talent. There's a lot of guys you can grab if you want to go secondary in the first round. Maybe you trade back five spots. Take C.J. Henderson, who's just a speedster out of Florida. There are a lot of options if you trade down. I think that would be the third best scenario because if you're trading down, that's also because people see players that they want to trade up and grab. Let's go to Mike and Elkin who wants in on Wake Forest basketball Mike, what do you make of the current dynamic that I call a no-win situation for John Curry? If he lets Danny Manning go, it's going to be awful PR during a global pandemic. If he keeps him, man, that's going to look pretty bad, too, and no one's going to show up to wake basketball games next year. What do you think, Mike?
2: I agree with both of those, but I was convinced when I heard last night that Shaundy wouldn't be back for his senior year. Excuse me. That's it. Danny's going to be let go. Um, he hasn't – he supposedly has promised uh, – or Coach Curry – I mean, Athletic Director Curry is supposedly uh, going to speak with um, some of the reporters when the decision's made. He hasn't talked to them yet. He's looking for a way, I, in my opinion, to to try to let go of Danny without having to break the bank. I don't know who they're going to be able to get for a new coach if they do fire Danny because of the money being paid out. They may have to keep one of the assistants and promote him as an interim for a year until maybe the economic uh, situation gets better.
1: Yeah, thanks for the call, Mike. You're quite welcome. I I think what's interesting would be if you're a Wake Forest basketball fan and it's not economically feasible to hire a new basketball coach at the moment, Randolph Childress is on staff. Like, if Danny Manning was let go and they promoted Randolph Childress and said, hey, this is going to be the coach for just one year, are you not excited to see what Randolph could do? I was excited to see Timmy D coaching for the the Spurs that one time in Charlotte. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I haven't heard anything about Curry speaking to reporters. Believe me, that would be something I hear about. We've reached out to... His office numerous times and we've been told that they would politely that they will politely decline an interview at this time I get it you don't want to answer any questions because you don't have answers to it right now that's why you tell somebody who's doing an interview in Raleigh our good friend Chris Lee hey I don't want to be asked anything about basketball it's because something is going on John D. Brown last week he tweets hey Danny Manning's going to be back, and we're going to win at Wake Forest together. He's our coach. Now that tweet's deleted, and Sean D is leaving Wake. Something is going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. And we will get answers over the next few weeks. We just don't have a lot of them this moment. Darren Vought's going to join us in over 15 minutes, just a little over 15 minutes, as we have our Throwback Thursday baseball segment. Today it's going to be the Los Angeles Dodgers. But we're, we're thrilled about the Michael Jordan docuseries that's going to launch on Sunday, The Last Dance. And coming up, in the spirit of that, I'll tell you why there will never be another team that's more popular and more universally beloved than the 90s Chicago Bulls. This is the drive.
0: He really appreciates you listening and thanks you from the bottom of his twisted little heart.
2: Congratulations, you've won over a complete
0: imbecile. to Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad.
1: I'm convinced we're never going to see, again, a team that's as universally beloved as the 90s Chicago Bulls were. I think a lot of that has to do with social media. 20, 25 years ago, it was possible to have a president that left office with a high approval rating. Today, in the age of social media, it doesn't matter if you're God Almighty walking out of office, you can't do everything, and you're going to be criticized for some of the things you don't do, and you're going to be nitpicked, that's, that's just something that's bound to happen and I don't think there's a team that's that ever escapes unscathed or at least hasn't over the last 10 to 15 years with the advent of Facebook and Twitter and the proliferation of the internet. Think about it. Golden State, there's no reason why you should really dislike the way they play basketball. Steph Curry is so likable. He looks like a cartoon kids character, and he plays like it. He's relatable. He's fun. He's got a fun wife. He's great on Twitter. Clay Thompson. I just saw the highlight from something I haven't watched in years yesterday where he scored 60 points and only dribbled the basketball in that game 11 times. Think about that one. 11 dribbles, 60 points for Klay Thompson in a game. Draymond Green, he could be colorful, he could be polarizing in the same way Dennis Rodman was fun and polarizing. Maybe not in the same way as the Worm, but you kind of get what I'm talking about here. I think if Golden State played in the 90s, they would be seen as the most beloved team out there. But since the Chicago Bulls played in that time instead, they were that team. No other team paralleled their greatness. Not Utah, not the Rockets. They won those two years, but they didn't face MJ. He was out playing baseball. We are drawn to greatness. We follow greatness. There's a reason why when Kentucky, when Duke, when North Carolina, when Kansas are playing in the Final Four, ratings go up. When VCU plays Butler, when Butler goes up against UConn in that championship game, you get the lowest ratings of a championship game in years. We like watching greatness. Duke, great. Carolina, great. Kansas, great. Chicago Bulls, great. Alabama, they draw ratings. Look at that contract the SEC just agreed to with ABC and ESPN. They get, that's not really the SEC contract, it's the right to carry Alabama games contract. The Chicago Bulls. They appealed to everybody. In the Eastern Conference, they played the Knicks. They played the Pacers. You are relating to those in the big seat cities in the East. You're playing a hard-nosed style of basketball. They could pound it in the post. They had Dennis Rodman blocking shots. Scottie Pippen, he could be physical. Michael Jordan, just a very versatile, tough player. Talk trash, gritty. It fit that era before hand checks of the NBA. But also, if you're watching out west, they're flashy. They have stars. And I think it's important that they played in the city of Chicago so they're right there in the middle of the country. So people could relate to a team that's closer to home than if the Bulls played or if Michael Jordan and this team played closer to one of the coasts. I think all of that matters. Michael Jordan, he was seen to be one of the coolest athletes. MJ, he's a lot cooler than LeBron. He's a lot... Like, you don't see MJ posting posting TikTok videos. What would that look like? Could you ever see Michael Jordan posting a TikTok video with his kids? I'm not knocking LeBron for doing so. I'm just saying LeBron's not as cool as Mike is. There's an element of... Curiosity of mis- mystery with Michael. The same way there was mystery with David Bowie, Prince, other cool stars. Michael was that. But with social media, the Warriors, they add KD, they become villains. Mike <laughs> LeBron James does a TV show, chooses to go play for the Miami Heat. He's a villain. You have several great teams several great players that you could argue is the great player of the time. They get pitted against each other and you have to pick sides. Nobody's picking sides in the 90s. Nobody's saying, oh, Charles Barkley's better than... No! By the time you got to the mid-90s, Magic, he was gone. So was Larry Bird. So was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So there was nobody who you could put side-by-side with Jordan, and no team you could put side-by-side with the Bulls. So I don't know if we're going to see something that level of dominance in the NBA again, and it's not going to be as long-spanning as the Bulls' dominance with six titles. Golden State, it looked like it would be that way, but they went to five finals, and they only won three of them. And I thought that went a lot longer than I thought it would. You had to add one of the best players in the NBA halfway through just to keep it going the next few years. Social media is not going to allow for another team to be as beloved or as popular as the Chicago Bulls were in the 1990s. Darren Bott's going to join us in 10 minutes. Sharing with Darren. Throwback Thursday baseball. We're going to find the Imagine Dragons of the L.A. Dodgers. Robert Walsh producing this show. Aaron Gabriel in the control room as well. Big news today in college basketball and Really, this is pro basketball news. It's a few big-ticket ESPN top 100 players deciding against playing college basketball but not going overseas like an Emmanuel Mudiay did, like the kid did last year whose name slips my mind, but instead going the G League route. Jalen Green is the ESPN 100 number one prospect, and he decided that he was going to take a leap into the reshaped NBA Professional Pathway program. It's a G League initiative. It's going to pay athletes $500,000 plus. It's a one-year development program. There's media responsibilities for a guy like Jalen Green involved as well that will push things closer to $1 million. Some are saying, this is doomsday for college basketball. Oh, my God. They they didn't make a move, and now the G League's going to take all their stuff. Good luck getting people to get charged up about Canton going head-to-head with Rio Grande. Good luck with that one. Listen, I like the G League. We're good friends with the folks at the Greensboro Swarm. Joe Wolf's going to be our guest on tomorrow's show. However, these things can coexist. People are going to... NBA draft snobs, hardcore NBA fans, they're going to want to see where these prospects are. People follow LaMelo Ball when the Ball family did the Facebook Live show. People are going to follow Jalen Green. It's going to happen. However... The one-and-done is going to be abolished in the next few years, so a guy like Jalen Green, he's jumping to the NBA anyway. He's not going straight into the G League. The truth of the matter is, and nobody talks about this, college basketball does provide things for these kids. They do. Zion Williamson gets the massive shoe deal, becomes a household name where you only have to say the name Zion, and everybody knows who you're talking about, not because of Instagram. Because he played at Duke. Because he was on Sports Center every night. I don't know if Jalen Green is going to be on Sports Center every night because he's playing for this California G League team that's being created. So pump the brakes before you say that this is it for college basketball because a handful of prospects who probably would be jumping to the NBA straight out of high school if this happened two years from now decide that they're going to spend a year in the G League. Exposure exists in college basketball. They have the lucrative TV deals. They have the multi-billion dollar March Madness product. They have the brackets, which means they have a chance to give athletes enough recognition, enough exposure, to elevate draft stock more than you would playing in the G League, and also get massive endorsement deals in a way that these G League athletes likely aren't going to get either. It just charges me up, man, when people say that college basketball, oh, these guys are leaving to go play G League ball. That's going to be be the end of the sport. That's been long-spanning, decade after decade after decade, and survived a lot worse than this, including a bribery scandal in New York with their champions. They survived that. They can survive this. Yes, Rob. I agree with you that
3: it's not going to be the end of college basketball. But on the other end, that the G League is a good place for players to go if they do want to play and they do want to get paid for it. I think it's great. I'm sure the Greensboro Swarm would agree. I'm
1: interested to ask Joe Wolf about this tomorrow.
3: Yeah, so this could have been a, a purely financial decision. I saw a lot of different numbers come out for him, but all of them way more money than he would make playing college basketball.
1: Now, college basketball needs to adapt it needs to change it needs to allow for guys to do endorsement deals while they're in school for sure but the idea that they need to model things into paying athletes directly i i don't buy that yet i'm i'm not going that far yet all right darren vott from usa baseball our good friend joins us every single week One of my favorite segments. It's something I look forward to. There are a lot of baseball fans out there. Even though we don't have a Major League Baseball team in North Carolina, baseball's just so big in this state. I miss going to Hoppers games and going to watch the Winston-Salem Dash already. Last week, it would have been opening day. It's Thursday. So we're going to list off throwback Thursday Dodgers as we start sharing with Darren next.
0: Everybody, listen up! You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. I can't believe this. This is insane.
1: We are sharing with Darren, a from the David Glenn Show. We like getting nostalgic with baseball, and since the Dodgers had one of the more interesting off-seasons, bringing in Mookie Betts, Bringing in David Price as well as a part of that deal. Also yesterday, being the anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking Major League Baseball's color barrier, it just feels right that the Dodgers be the team that we do today in our segment that you can play along with the Imagine Dragons of the Dodgers on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. Darren, you and I were talking earlier today about the Dodgers specifically and They're the team that has, I think, the most to lose this year if the season is shortened or, God forbid, canceled.
4: Yeah, no doubt about it. I think they, from a strictly baseball standpoint, are suffering the most with games not currently being played. Remember, Mookie Betts is in a contract year, so he essentially was a rental coming into this season. And it's a top three talent in all of Major League Baseball. This is a team that notoriously has failed to get over the hump the past few years. This was supposed to be their year, and it's all come to a screeching halt. Uh, I can't imagine if someone listening is a Dodgers fan, what what you're thinking and going through as this season, it turns out, might not be played at all.
1: To cheer those people up, we will play the Imagine Dragons of the L.A. Dodgers. We
0: discovered who the nickelbacks of Major League Baseball were: Doug McKevich, Marcus Giles, Johnny Estrada. He might be a top five nickelback of Major League Baseball. Look at this photograph. Now we're looking for the players who embodied the last decade of baseball.
1: Salted sweat?
0: No, not the best players. Believer, believer. This is the Imagine Dragons of 2010s baseball.
1: Yeah. I feel a responsibility to explain this still every single week. The Nickelbacks of the 2000s were essentially, the idea was, we're not looking for the most memorable, we're not looking for the best guys, the most talented players, the Chipper Joneses of the world, the Alex Rodriguezes. No, we just want the memorable guys because we get nostalgic about old baseball names like Brian Roberts or Jay Gibbons, since I'm an Orioles fan. Robert, those would be Nickelbacks, not... Imagine Dragons there, just throwing that out there. Um, so we thought, okay, what's a band that fits that category to try and get people an idea of what we want? Oh, it's Nickelback. The decade just ended. The Imagine Dragons, I think, are the last decade's Nickelback. So give me the most memorable L.A. Dodgers of the last decade, not the best guys, Darren, give me a list of guys that do not belong on this list so people don't send us on Twitter the wrong kind of player.
3: Uh,
4: I, Clayton Kershaw is the first and foremost that does not belong on this list. Probably Yasiel Puig. I would, I would maybe fight you that Yasiel Puig is, is too
1: good or was too good. Bellinger, um, Turner, I don't think yeah. belong. Adrian Gonzalez, I don't think belongs if you're an MVP candidate. I'd say Matt sure. Kipp doesn't belong either or Zach Granke.
4: Yeah, all of those fit, and I think that's the extent of my list.
1: And Kenley Jansen. He was the best closer for a two-year stretch. I don't think he applies, and also a little bit too young. Here's a question I have for you we need to establish for the rest of this game. Can great 2000s players that were too good to be nickelbacks be Imagine Dragons as older players?
4: I think they can, and I've got the, the top guy on my list that applies to him. Okay, so who I'm is it? I'm glad that you're bringing this up. Andre Ethier.
1: Oh, that's good. I was thinking Jimmy Rollins.
4: Uh, see, that's that's another thing, too, and we did this with the Nickelbacks. I, I don't associate Rollins as a Dodger. Yeah, like I, don't Dan, so I don't think he
1: applies either. Same thing for Heron and Beckett. They didn't play there long enough. Carl Crawford, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's right.
4: another good one that fits right in with Easier.
1: And I'll throw one more in this category, Chase Utley. Oh, for sure. Okay. There we go.
4: There it is, Robert.
1: The top one on my list is Yasmani Grandal.
4: I like it. Okay. That's perfectly fine.
1: I like Yasmani Grandal. I do too. Give me a picture on too. your list. A pitcher
4: I have, Chad Billingsley.
1: Wow, Chad Billingsley. He's borderline nickelback right there with like Rod Barajas or James Loney. Look at this photograph. But I'll, I'll count it. I'll counter no, though.
4: He played in the, the early 2010s at least, like 2012, 2013. He was peak mediocre reliever. For the Dodgers,
1: I'll counter with Rich Hill. Hold on, with who? Rich Hill. Yes. Is that better than Alex Wood?
4: Yeah, it is. Wood made it also good. and it was was really young when he did that. So yeah. maybe a little not too good, but just doesn't quite apply.
1: You got Ethier on the list. I had him written down as question marks right next to Howie Kendrick and D Gordon.
4: Oh, I like those. I like both of those. I think they both apply.
1: Okay. Who else Who else needs to be added to the list? I got two more names.
4: I've got one that I think we cannot go without. He was the second person on my list overall. He's a position player. I put him behind Andre Ethier. First baseman, James Loney. Uh,
1: I, I put him in the Nickelback category, but yeah, Loney they does apply. Fun. Yeah, he, he's an old player, man. He's an old player. How do you feel about Brandon McCarthy? Oh,
4: yes, yes.
1: Likeable I'll guy on that. Twitter, but also a pretty good reliever.
4: But that is also why he's more memorable than good, is because of his Twitter presence. So I think that plays a factor. That's an excellent
1: The last name I got is Jock Peterson. Want a rebound?
5: <laughs>
4: yes. no All right, give what me what decade we're doing this for? Juan Uribe is gonna be an answer. All like right, I feel like you and I could do this until we die, and Uribe is gonna be an answer.
1: Close us out. Give me the next best one on your list. Ooh, ah, uh, you'll like this one because it was an older version of this guy.
4: Probably would have been a Nickelback as well, Jerry Hairston Jr. Wow.
1: That's a great one to finish up with. Darren, it's good to hear your voice. Stay safe, my friend. Uh, how did things go with, uh, with our good friend Michael Kadiar on the Ooh. USA Baseball pod?
4: Yeah, we dropped that episode yesterday, so it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen in. It's, again, covering the bases, uh, the official podcast of USA Baseball. He and I were on the phone for over an hour I think in total, the episode is just over an hour, like one oh one in length, and he was awesome. Did you mention he, uh, to him that
1: he's a nickelback?
4: I did, and he liked my case. This isn't in the interview, but while I had him on the phone, I explained to the segment, which is again very, very hard to do and not be long winded yep um he he gets he he understands how he might be a nickelback but would be too good to be an Imagine Dragon because, of course, both of his all-star appearances were past 2010 and he was in the Home Run Derby, the NL batting champ in 2013. So
1: he
4: he likes the idea that he's a nickelback but too good to be an Imagine Dragon.
1: Good stuff, Darren. Good to hear from you, man. Thanks for doing this.
4: Likewise. All Catch right. you guys later. That,
1: that's Darren Vaught. I have a simple question to ask you guys. It's something I've been thinking about all week. The draft's going to be virtual. Robert's going to continue playing cuts here. Uh, Roger Goodell, he's going to be announcing the picks from his closet or from his basement, not from his closet. What do you think Goodell's basement looks like? Oh, it's probably
3: swanky. Oh, it's late. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like granite countertops with the uh, in the basement. Oh, yeah. I
0: bet you it looks like a black, library.
3: Black leather. Uh,
0: no, mahogany leather. Oh,
3: there you go. There you go. With like a decanter on a nice silver tray with some good thick crystal glasses Cadell and some whiskey needs to stones. To do this
1: right, he can't have a backdrop. I don't want him to have a backdrop. I don't want him to have a banner. I want to see us. I want to see a, see, uh, a bookshelf. Maybe a pet running around. It has to be like a white cat as if he's a supervillain. How about that? He just turns his chair around, stroking a white cat when mm-hmm. he announces each, his, uh, each pick.
0: He's going to be wearing a person. <laughs> <laughs> like a mink. <laughs> yeah,
1: I see him. I could see that. I do see him allowing fans to boo him. There's going to be some opportunity there.
3: Yeah, let random fans join the Zoom call just to boo him. I
1: think the Carolina Panthers, every single team, is having two fans be a part of the broadcast. So when a team picks a player, it pans to these two people. What opportunity there is for you to be on national
3: television. I would moon the camera so quick. Ah! Ravens would, would disown me as a fan because very first thing, I would just moon it. So quick.
1: <laughs> People I know who have met Cadell, they say he's so different than he seems on camera and that he's actually a really likable guy. The the image of him being the shield and all of that, that's what the owners want him to be. The owners want him to be a meat shield out there protecting them from criticism. So I I'm hopeful about the draft a week from the day. I really am.
3: The way I look at Goodale is he's like one of Adam Sandler's friends off Billy Madison. He's just kind of long for the ride, man. Let's let Adam Sandler tell him whatever to do. He's Norm MacDonald? Exactly. He's
1: like, hey, man. Or he's Mr. Penguin. He, <laughs> he could. It's, it's, yeah, I see it's, what you're doing. It's, it's nudie magazine day. Uh, Mr. Penguin. <laughs> Up next, <laughs> what gives me hope? John Curry will fix the Wake basketball program. Keep it here on The Drive.
4: No mercy, no pity, no fear.
1: You're on The Drive
0: with Josh Graham.
1: So Robert just notified me he has big, big breaking news that he's not going to bring us right now, but in 15 minutes. He's not kidding around, though. It is national news, and he wanted me to emphasize he's not kidding. No so, joke. 15 no minutes, joke. we'll get to that. Adam Gold, our early afternoon host, now joining us. And I'm looking at the NFL draft being one week away, and all I, I'm thinking about right now, I probably should have better things on my mind, but Roger Goodell... What do you think his basement looks like?
5: Oh, it's um, it's cluttered. I'm sure he's got a lot of old magazines. Probably some old uh, Boys Life magazines. I was a Boys Life reader uh, as a kid, <laughs> so uh, I'm sure he's got some of that. Highlights. Uh, I always did the uh, was you know do the search for the objects, the hidden objects. We used to love those, uh, so I'm sure he's got a lot of those. I don't... Mad libs. Maybe yeah. Mad libs. <laughs>
1: The, uh, the news last night, Chandy Brown, he officially announces he's going to be leaving Wake Forest. He says, okay, I'm going to go through the NBA draft process. And as Danny Manning told us last week, that, that's not much of a surprise. The surprising part was him saying, yeah, if I decide to return to college, I'm going to enter the transfer portal. I think this presents a no-win situation for John Curry. If he wants to make a change... It's going to be a bad PR look if he does so, if he keeps Danny. Well, it was already the worst attendance we've seen in a a year at the Joel Coliseum ever. I don't know how much further that can go down. In your mind, what's a worse look for Wake, buying out Danny in the next month or keeping him yet another year now that this team can't win without Sean D on the roster? Uh,
5: Well, it's a net zero today because didn't Isaiah Wilkins announce that he was transferring from Virginia Tech to Wake, right?
1: Yeah, I I guess Mount Tabor, right? Sure. (laughs) Five points a game at Virginia Tech.
5: I don't know if it's a net zero or not. I actually talked about this uh, earlier today, and my my feeling is uh, that the time to move on from Danny is probably past based on the current climate. Um, probably not as much willing buyout money. You don't know what everything is going to look like uh, come the fall anyway. So I think it's a ride with Danny Manning type year because to be perfectly honest, and I said this, there's John Curry, who sat in our studio, oh, I don't know how many months ago uh, when he first got the job and he was doing kind of the rubber chicken tour. Um, He's a smart dude. He gets it. He knows. Um, And then this is going to be a financial decision for the university. Will attendance be bad? If they're bad, yeah. Um, Continuity is always better uh, unless it's bad continuity. And that's what right now, what Danny Manning's got Uh, too many player, too much player attrition, too many guys who really have no business going to the NBA draft, um, going through it and then transferring. You can't get guys good, Good enough players to the finish line. Uh, how many transfers is this in the, in the Manning era? Guys that he
1: recruited and guys who are going nowhere. Like, I mean, where's Darrell Moore going? Where's mittaglu going? Well, I mean, Jalen yeah. Howard didn't get drafted last year. I mean, it's fine if Sharon Wright Jr. transfers out, but Chandi Brown and these other guys were meaningful players. I, I mean, it just that that's gonna be what defines Danny, no? Yeah, well,
5: again, I get back to the fact that it's guys that you recruited. If you recruit players and then they leave, and it's not like what goes on at times at Duke with, like, an Alex O'Connell uh, or a semi-Ogellet. You guys, you you, you you know, you go through the process of recruiting these guys and they don't get on the court enough, so now it's a playing time issue. I mean, Tony Brown was a three-year starter. I mean, it's not a playing time issue. Not with him. It wasn't a playing time issue with the other guys um there's a disconnect somewhere they don't win enough even when the players that they you know the good players that they have and i've argued that there's enough talent there to be a better you know team in the win-loss comp but they just haven't been able to do it um i look it's it's, i've been saying for years that it's probably time to move on from danny um but the the finances and the climate is just not going to allow them to do it i don't think right now
1: adam gold with us here Listen to the Adam Gold Show, noon to three, right here on Sports Up on Twitter at agoldfan. So a lot of people, I've already seen think pieces posted, somehow it's happened in just two or three hours, that the G League, they now bring in the ESPN number one prospect of the 2020 class, a kid that was once committed to Michigan as a five-star, he's now uh, going to be going into the G League as well in this revamped uh, path for high school prospects, a one-year developmental program in the G League. Some are hand-wringing and saying this is going to be part of the end for college basketball. This is a real issue. On the other end of it, well, the one and done going to be abolished in the next few years. And college basketball, there are always benefits to the guys who end up playing in terms of exposure and other elements. The NIL legislation that's being considered and that's supposed to be, uh, suggestions are supposed to be brought up in the next month or so and hopefully enacted next year might change things as well. How significant do you believe this headline to be and how big of a problem is it for college basketball?
5: I think, I think we've had, it, there, are, there are no good developments here. And I include the two players the two players are not going to a better situation than they would deal with in college basketball. College basketball is the better place for them to develop as players. Uh, The G League, League, uh, these guys will both be playing against grown men who are desperately trying to make a career for themselves in pro basketball. Um, But, this is not a first-year problem. I've been saying this for years, and I've been told that I was crazy. Um, the college game has created a climate that, for whatever reason, is not friendly to obvious one-year players. I'll go back to Adam Silver when they made the announcement that they were going to get rid of the one-year, the one-year waiting rule, uh, when he said the college game doesn't seem to want these players. That is the dumbest thing in the history of sports if the college game doesn't want great, talented players, most of whom, by the way, are good students. Zion Williamson was a good student. But you're creating a situation where these guys aren't welcome and they're sort of blamed for the problems of the sport. Um, The NBA didn't want one-year players, which is why they put the rule in. David Stern wanted to go to two years uh, of a waiting period, but it was fought by the Players Association uh Melo Melo Ball went to uh, Australia. RJ Hampton did the same thing. There are there are kids who have decided I don't want to play in college, I'm going to go overseas. Some had different reasons, some was academic, but for the most part, it's because hey, I don't have to go to school, I can get money. If the college game got off their rear ends and understood that name image and likeness, the real uh you know open market for players like this was beneficial to their own game then this would this would cease to be a serious problem except for the kids who are academically ineligible and that's okay nobody says you have to go to school uh but they have screwed this up from the start by being very nearsighted and this is where we are it's a problem it's going to get worse it's not getting better we're going to have more and more players each year who opt to go elsewhere but the college game
1: we're going to talk to Danny um to uh Johnny Dawkins excuse me next hour about this particular issue. Also, he'll share some Michael Jordan stories as well, going head-to-head with him in the early 1980s. Adam Gold with us, our early afternoon host from the Adam Gold Show. Before we let you go, an anonymous NFL scout said offensive lineman Makai Beckton, uh, who played yeah. at Louisville, quote, loves to cook and eat more than football. So I simply ask you, what's more important to Adam Gold, radio or food? Well, I
5: mean one leads to the other. So we we have to at least understand that. Uh but um if uh well the the answer to the question really is of course cooking, the culinary arts are more important than uh than doing a competent semi-competent radio show. Um but that is the hype of being overly football-y when that's the uh, that's the takeaway that Becton likes to cook. Uh, he just pushed a car, man. <laughs> the dude pushed a car.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's that's pretty good analysis there. He pushed a car. Uh, what, are
5: we, what are we doing? By the way, how did, how did we even start the conversation? Rob has breaking news on a national level, and that's going to wait 15 minutes so you and I can BS about whatever
1: i think it's fox football now this breaking news is gonna be brought to us robert says it's big breaking news it's do you break- just do you just want to get to it right now sure yeah all right yeah. robert has his big breaking news what exactly do you have here all right big breaking news i know you guys have been waiting on it
3: long enough i don't want to drag this out any longer okay, than i have to yeah. and i'm not going to keep you waiting not one second more for this breaking news. certainly that not a dragged. day and a
1: half you're yeah. not going to keep us waiting not
3: at all it's big news the cat that interrupted the Giants and Cowboys game last year has been adopted and signed to the San Diego Scratching Post guys. I am ecstatic! Huge wow. news! Absolutely,
1: that's massive! It's oh, ridiculous! That's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's massive!
3: Right? That's, that's enormous news.
5: The cat did score.
1: <laughs> got into the end zone. Uh, we look yeah. forward to uh, hearing you tomorrow, Adam, and hopefully this breaking news doesn't completely upbend what you have planned tomorrow.
5: Well, I'm going to call Tony the Tiger for expert analysis tomorrow, so that'll be on the show.
1: Yeah, we got Joe Exotic to add and adjust a little Perfect. bit. That's, that's Adam Gold. He's on Twitter, at a agoldfan. It's, it's excellent stuff, as always. Noon to three, you can listen to the Adam Gold show right here on Sports Hub. Try it. Are you sure Schefter didn't scoop you? He did
3: not scoop me, but I have more breaking news, Josh. This is unfortunate. Hold one sec. Don't
1: don't bring the breaking news to me. Do you have more breaking news that we can bring later? Look, I, yeah, I can I can hold off. It's okay. Not, it's it's huge news. We got we good. gotta pay the bills around here, Robert. We only have so much time for breaking news. Robert has more breaking news. Apparently, is it big big breaking news? It's huge. Oh my gosh! On top of that, three realistic home run scenarios for the Carolina Panthers at number seven in next week's draft. This is the drive. A
0: much, much, much much. Better, better 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 show. The drive with Josh Graham.
1: We are one week away from the draft. And when the team you cover closely doesn't make the playoffs and has a top 10 pick, you naturally become a draft expert. Not to mention, in our case, college sports are huge around here, so I already have an opinion on most of these guys anyway. Johnny Dawkins, he's going to share Michael Jordan stories with us in 15 minutes. Okay, with trades included, I have mocked the first 10 picks of the draft. I reserve the right to adjust a few things, if need be, next Thursday afternoon, but I've given this a lot of thought, so I don't expect that to happen. Let's dive right in since everybody seems to have a mock draft nowadays. With the first
5: pick, second pick, third pick, fourth pick.
0: Start with the quarterback. Josh Graham wants a part of the action. I was replaced by a zoo animal. Josh predicts the top 10 picks of the 2020 NFL Draft. The pick is in. Here we go. The Cincinnati Bengals are now on the clock.
1: And this is the most easy selection. Joe Burrow is going to be the number one pick To the Cincinnati Bengals, he's the safest pick at quarterback. No injuries with them, Ohio kid. Best case, he's Aaron Rodgers. Worst case, he's Tony Romo. So Cincinnati is going to get a good quarterback with Burrow. Now on the clock, the Washington Redskins with the number two pick. Chase Young's the guy. Ron Rivera has always had the best player available mentality. As important as needs are, when you're picking in the top five, it's always about trying to find a guy you think is going to be a future Hall of Famer. That's why I didn't crush Dave Gettleman's pick of Saquon Barkley, number two. I'm not going to knock anybody who gets somebody who you could deem to be a future Hall of Famer. Chase Young is that. Ron drafts a lot of defensive players, defensive-minded coach. Young is the pick at number two. Number three, the Detroit Lions. Same mentality as the Redskins, best player available, it's Jeff Okuda. They have a lot of needs, including corner. So I think they'll have no issue taking Okuda. They might field some trade calls But I think in the end, they will stay at the pick, go best player available, somebody who's going to be in the league for a very long time. You're facing Aaron Rodgers the next handful of years. You need somebody who can lock up guys one-on-one. Akuda can do that out of Ohio State. Number four, we've got our first trade. On the clock, in the place of the New York Giants, it's the L.A. Chargers moving in front of the Dolphins to select Tua. Why Tua over Herbert? I think there's a lot more tape on Tua being excellent. It's easier to evaluate players in the SEC when they're facing NFL talent. And on top of that, the Chargers, they need a star quarterback. They need to sell hope to their non-existent fan base in Los Angeles. Tua does that, I think, There's no pressure on him coming off an injury to play early on with Terod Taylor there. Tua's the pick, and the Chargers are moving into the fourth spot where the Giants were in order to make the Tua selection. Number five, the Miami Dolphins. They go quarterback, they go Justin Herbert. I believe all along that they've valued – Herbert more than Tua. Just because you don't get your chance to put your hands on him. Miami, they were a team, if they wanted to, they could drive up and be there for a workout with Tua. They can't fly. There's a way you could do so safely. No reports out there say that the Dolphins have met with Tua in person. I think they will be perfectly okay going with Herbert at number five. So the Chargers trade up to take Tua at four. The Dolphins have their guy at quarterback at number five. It's Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert. The Giants are now on the clock at number six. Dave Gettleman's probably thinking, okay, the Chargers, they're trying to take a quarterback here. Odds are we're going to be able to get either the offensive tackle that we want, or Isaiah Simmons in this spot. I think the Giants go with a hog molly. If I know anything about Dave Gettleman, he loves his big dudes, and Tristan Wirfs is a versatile, athletic offensive lineman that's as sure of a thing you're going to find in the draft. I've, I haven't felt this confident about an offensive lineman since – Uh, Quentin Nelson, who's now one of the best in the league for the Indianapolis Colts. Tristan Wirfs, not Isaiah Simmons, is the pick at number six for the Giants. They're going to protect their quarterback they drafted last year, protect Saquon Barkley, who they took two years ago. It's going to be worse, which means Carolina races to the podium. Clemson linebacker Isaiah Simmons falling to Carolina. They need a defensive player. He's going to be Kuechly's successor. Very smart guy. Great system. Great in pass coverage. I think it's a great fit. Versatile player. They have so many needs on defense. So this is going to be the guy they build around. And it's going to be a good look to have KK Short on the defensive line Simmons at the next level with Shaq Thompson, who you just gave a lot of money to. And Dante Jackson is somebody the Panthers like in the secondary. It's a great building piece. Carolina needs to go defense. I think Simmons is the guy. Number eight, the Arizona Cardinals on the clock. I don't buy the report that general managers are concerned Makai Becton, the offensive lineman out of Louisville, enjoys cooking and eating more than football. That is an example of draft day or draft week spin. The Cardinals, they're going to get an offensive lineman to protect their investment in Kyler Murray. They have already traded to bring in DeAndre Hopkins. They have players that... Really should magnify this offense, but it doesn't mean anything if you can't protect Kyler. They're going to do that with the offensive tackle out of Louisville, Makai Becton. The pick is in at number nine, the Jacksonville Jaguars go wide receiver, C.D. Lamb. It's one of my strongest draft convictions that Lamb is the best receiver in this draft. As a Blitnikoff voter, I charted wide receivers every single week. And Lamb, I think he's more diverse as a receiver than Judy. He has a better build. He did more because he needed to with Oklahoma. It wasn't the ideal situation, or at least not as ideal as it was for Judy and Alabama, alongside Ruggs, who is just a burner, Devontae Smith, who had a ton of clutch catches in college, and Jalen Waddell, who's a great return man. I think they go Lamb because past history has showed us. The Jaguars, they lean on guys in the Big 12, including former Bolitnikoff-winning wide receiver D.D. Westbrook, who's been productive in Jacksonville. So I think they go back to the Oklahoma well. C.D. Lamb is the first wide receiver off the board at number nine. And rounding out my top ten picks in next week's NFL Draft, The Cleveland Browns select offensive lineman Jedrick Wills out of Alabama. I just think he has a little bit more upside than Thomas. I've heard interviews with Wills, and he's an entertaining guy. Great story. He dealt with more bruisers than anybody you're going to find. SEC guys generally do that. A lot of great Alabama offensive linemen translating to the pros, So Jedrick Wills to the Cleveland Browns, my number 10 pick. So to recap things really quickly, Joe Burrow to the Bengals, number one. Chase Young to the Redskins, number two. Jeff Okuda, the corner out of Ohio State, to Detroit, number three. A trade sends the Chargers from number six to number four in the place of the Giants. They take their quarterback in Tua. Justin Herbert to the Dolphins at number five. Tristan Wirfs might be the biggest surprise pick of the top ten. The Giants go with him, go with the Hog Molly. Dave Gettleman loves the Hog Mollies, picks that at number six over Isaiah Simmons. The Panthers race to the podium to take Simmons at seven. Matai Becton, offensive lineman out of Louisville, is now going to be protecting Kyler Murray's blind side. Jacksonville takes the first wide receiver, that being C.D. Lamb and Jedrick Wills out of Alabama. The offensive lineman goes to Cleveland as the Browns. They have a ton of weapons, and now they need to protect uh, Baker. Oh, speaking of the Browns, it turns out Moose's reporting at WFAN in New York might not have been very accurate because Adam Schefter and others have now reported that OBJ is not even on the block, and no conversations have taken place between the Browns and the Vikings. It just doesn't make any sense. The Vikings, they had Stephon Diggs there. He was a headache. They got rid of him because they have Adam Thielen. They didn't need Stephon Diggs. Why bring in a receiver who's a bigger headache? If OBJ isn't happy in Cleveland, what makes you think he's going to be happy in Minneapolis? And also, he has a $14 million salary. The Vikings only have $12 million in cap space. They still have to pay all these rookies there about the draft. So none of it made any sense, and that's why I'm surprised, or I'm not surprised, the reporting was debunked earlier today by Schefter and others. Okay, former Blue Devil great Johnny Dawkins is going to share Michael Jordan stories with us next on The Drive.